Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 6 of Inside the Loop, sponsored by Cappuccino. This week, as we dig Cot Town goalkeeper, Lee Bedwell, we talk about his time at Swindon Town, from the academy to life under Paolo Di Canio, including that infamous debut. Also on the pod, we get on to what it's like working with the family, where he sees the club in the future, his goalkeeping school, and why growing out the ponytail may just be a lovely thing after all. I ask your questions, and that's today's episode of Inside the Loop. So yeah, well, thank you for coming on, first of all, and welcome to the podcast. It's been a little break since we've done one. Uh, life's been just how it is. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll start how I normally tend to start them. Just for anyone who doesn't know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, that's, a, that's a big question to start with. Um, so obviously, I've been at the club for a number of years now. Nice to be known as the number one. Yeah, so started, came to Didcot, I think it's my sixth season at Didcot now. Um, joined from Banbury. Um, before that, I was at Swindon. Um, previously, I had a loan spell at Banbury when I was at Swindon and a uh, loan spell at Worcester as well. Um, probably anyone who knows me now probably knows me um, for being Didcot's goalkeeper, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but yeah, that's about it. So starting with, obviously, time at Digcot, I think you joined in 2014. Obviously something that it comes across, whether you recognise it as well, I'm sure you do, as like a supporter's favourite, a fan favourite. Is that something that you like and you, you take pride in? Um, definitely. It's obviously always nice to be liked. Um, but I think that's just from uh, longevity. been at the club for obviously quite a while now, um, since I was 21. So sort of it's a sort of big time in your life as well. You're sort of growing up from almost like uh, an adolescent to sort of a, to a man almost, almost not quite mature <laughs> yet, but um, as some will argue, but, um, but yeah, no, definitely. It's obviously where it's a well-supported club. Um, I live pretty local just outside Bidcot in Wantage. So it feels like sort of home to me. So it's nice that, being liked by the supporters, I hope maybe not all the time when, when uh, I'm throwing them in my own net, but um but yeah, no, absolutely. It's always nice to be liked. Uh, I think I've got a relationship with the fan base at uh, Digcon. Hopefully, that will continue. So we'll come. We'll touch on the career and the starting at Swindon, Banbury in, in in a little bit. Um, just first of all, kind of what got you into football from such a young age, and what kind of pushed you into it? Um, so I think it's obviously just obviously you spoke to my brother on the podcast previously as well. Our our family are quite sort of heavily football based. It's what what weekends are for really um I don't know what normal people do on a Saturday afternoon really I'd be I'd be lost without it so so yeah really for your family like um my brother even my sister she likes football all cousins everything like that yeah we've just been brought up with it and it's, it's something that happens then you're playing out in the street with with uh, your neighbours to begin with and then joining a team and and yeah it's just one of those things where like I said it's, it's just normal what else would you do <laughs> it's it's like it's weird, people who don't like football, each to their own, but mm. a lot of my life result revolves around there'd be a lot of it. But it's that awkward thing, I get it sometimes when starting new jobs. Um, you can talk to people about different things, sure, but the, the first good one to start off with is, oh, do you like football then? And when someone says no, it's kind of, well, I don't really have a backup question. I don't, I don't know yeah. what else to talk yeah, to definitely. for the next four weeks. Gilly was talking in the change room the other day, he's got an apprentice now. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh. I was like my first was, oh, do you like football? And he was like, no, nah, I already asked him that. He's like, oh, so you're just going to work in silence all day then, not talk about it. But yeah, obviously it's it's a massive, it's not, it's not for everyone, but hopefully everyone who's listening to this pod, it's um, mm. 
thing. And I think it breaks down barriers. It's for everyone, isn't it? Sport in general, it's for everyone. It brings everyone together, no matter what language you speak or where you're from, you can come together and play a game. Speaking of language, we'll get on to some sort of exotic language just in just a little bit. Um, so you so you get into football from a young age and you end up at Swindon. I mean, first of all, why Swindon? Uh, and, and two, is, is was there any other clubs that you were interested in going to academy-wise or you know how did you end up there and, and how was the Swindon Academy experience? Why not Swindon? One of the best clubs around. <laughs> uh, saying that as a supporter as well, obviously. Um, but no, so from a young age, I played for... Um, Grow challenges, uh, grow just what I wanted, um, just with my mates and things. Um, probably under sevens or something like that. Um, your managers put you forward for trials and stuff. We got put forward for trials um, with Oxford United, um, with Cammy actually, Cameron McNeil at the same time. She played with Grow Challenges. So we played together for a long time now. We started off together um, and now we're playing men's football and have done for a number of years. Um, but yeah. Um, so I went, went on trial at Oxford. I was dead against going because my family are diehard Swindon fans. But my dad said, no, you've been offered an opportunity. You're going to go. You're going to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to the trial wearing my Swindon shirt. So that probably marked me down already. Um, but, um, but yeah, went to the trial. It didn't happen. Um, I was only seven years old at the time. Like seven, eight years old, still very early. And then probably... Six months to a year later, I was doing a uh, like a community half-term football course. Swindon the community did it in Ardington. My mates on a half-term camp and um, got offered a six-week trial at Swindon. and was there from the age of nine years old all the way through till I think I left when I was 20. So sort of 11 years, 10 years at the club you support playing all the way through. Had some great experiences there where it's sort of you're playing. You, you talk to your mates on a Monday when you get to school, they sort of played against Abingdon, Digcott, Farringdon, local teams, and you sort of gone to Swansea for the Sunday. You spent sort of hours in the cars going to Swansea or you've gone Cheltenham, Reading, all these places, and you're playing sort of against the sort of best players in the area, which obviously is a great experience, which is why I say, like, football has been my life. It's what I look forward to every every weekend in the week training. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that was a massive part, being at Swindon absolute bonus supporting the club and getting the opportunity to go and play there um, and live my dream really because not not many people get that opportunity at all and uh, very fortunate to have to have lived that dream and although I made just one appearance for the first team um, in quite peculiar circumstances but it was um it was my dream achieved there like if I'd have if I'd have dropped down there the next day as terrible as it sounds I'd have I'd have lived my dream and I'd have been um, delighted it's definitely more than I ever imagined and um, and yeah fantastic so we'll come on to that appearance against Preston in in a minute just fascinates me as a way because at the time you're the backup goalkeeper that's correct you're the backup there what what is the life like for a backup keeper is it frustrating or is you just the team is so well bonded you want to put the play at some point but you know how does that work on a training pitch and and just come around. It's, it's, it's a difficult on that one because I wouldn't say I was sort of like a normal backup keeper because I was I was uh a couple of times when I was in the youth team, I was on the bench, and that was a great experience. Then when I when I signed my pro contract and I was I was banging as the second choice, um, I was still sort of learning my craft sort of thing. So I, I knew probably personally deep down, I knew I wasn't ready to be a, a league two, a league one goalkeeper. But I was learning off one of the one of the best in the league and understudy to one of the best in the league, rooming with him in away games. 
um, learning all the right habits, and what what to do, when to do it. So it's a bit different for me, but I just thrived on it. Absolutely thrived on it. Training every day. Um, that was in an era when it was obviously Paolo Di Canio was the manager. And there was a lot in the press about no days off. Um, but you're playing football every day for like a couple of hours in the morning. And then you've got gym work in the afternoon. It's not, you talk about no days off, but it's, it's not a bad life at all. You're playing five a side on a Sunday morning if you didn't play. Um, but yeah, it was all about learning your craft. And like I said, I probably wasn't ready at the time to be sort of knocking on the door to say that I should be playing. Um, so as a backup keeper, I wasn't really sort of like just sat and as I was always learning. It was always an experience sort of at that time. There was, we were going away to Sheffield United. So going to Bramble Lane, there's sort of like 18,000, 20,000 people there. And you're sort of got a front row seat. You're on the pitch as well, warming up half time. You're in and amongst it. You're gaining experiences. You're learning all the time. So if I was probably five, 10 years older, I'd probably been a bit like, oh, I should be playing, I should be playing. But because I was at that sort of raw age, it was giving me such a great experience at a young age. I was just thriving on it and enjoying every, every moment, sucking the life out of it, just getting all I could out of it. So, yeah, so as a backup keeper, I think now, now for anyone who is playing, I'd say I wouldn't sit on the bench. If you're a goalkeeper, you need to go and play games because you only you only learn through making your own mistakes. You can watch someone do a mistake, make a mistake hundreds of times, but you're not going to learn from it until you go and do it. Um, so, yeah, so I, I didn't really have that sort of backup um, keeper experience but I'd say I, I was sort of just living off that thriving off that being part of the squad and in and around it and I think it sort of stood me in stood, uh, good stead going forward for uh, later parts in my um, playing career So just one last thing on that really is there but obviously you're really tight with everyone at a club and in a group but are there like cynical moments where so you, you're losing and you know the main keeper doesn't quite save it do you ever think of oh, I could have probably got that or I'd have done that differently. Probably as a goalkeeping union, as goalkeepers, you probably analyse things a lot more than outfield players purely because if a goal's just happened, you're sort of just scored, you're stood there now and you're probably not going to touch the ball for the next couple of minutes or you're not chasing after it. So you're you're alone with your thoughts a lot of the time. So as goalkeepers, you sort of empathise with each other as well. So even if we're playing on a Saturday and I see, if I see the goal maker a good save, I even found the opposite end, I'll, like, I'll give him a clap or mm. say, oh, just randomly shout out what I save or something like that. So I think you empathise with each other and there's not sort of that animosity of, oh, if I was in if I was in the sticks there, I'd have saved that because there's so many different circumstances that could be in place. Your positioning might not have been exactly the same. Your decision-making, it might not have been exactly the same. You might not have gone to catch, you might have gone to parry it or you might have not come out, you might have stayed back. There's lots of things going to count. But as goalkeepers, I'm sure you're more than aware of the goalkeepers' union where... Uh, we stick together whether we're on the, the same team or not most of the time. So uh, so not really any of that. And like I said, when I was at Swindon as a number two, it was sort of uh, Wes Fodringham. He's now playing at Sheffield United. He's played at Rangers. He's sort of a, a real top-class keeper. And I think he's still got time. And I think he could quite well go and um, play in the Premier League as well. Well, with Wes, um, we'll get on it now. Uh, he, he came on, he lasted 22 minutes, I believe, and, and Paolo Di Canio took him off. Uh, I've got the quote after the game, uh, which he describes Wes as one of the worst goalkeepers I've ever seen in a football match. Um, just a couple of things to start it. Is there, was there any indication that you were going to come on prior to it? Like, What did he say to you when he was um, going to bring you on? 
So Wes wasn't having a he wasn't having a stinker at all. He wasn't having a bad game at all. There was just uh, I think a ball got passed back to him at one point. The striker, I think it was just the second goal, might have been the first. I'm not sure. Um, got passed back. The striker running down. He went to clear the ball and it's deflected off the striker and broken in, so broken around the edge of the box and they've gone on and scored. So it wasn't a massive mistake, just one of those things that could happen. Um, but then with the other goal, I think uh, the gaffer at the time had said he was sort of like pointing fingers around and it didn't take a lot for him to lose his head. So sort of, he was sort of bubbling up on the sideline. Um, and no, I had no indication. The only indication I had was when he turned around and told me to go and warm up. Um, but I didn't hear him tell me to go and warm up because that uh, deep down at Preston, the, uh, the dugouts were up in the stands. So obviously he's on the touchline, like below my eyesight and my head's at like pitch level. I'm looking across watching the game and the next thing I know he's sort of up in my face saying do you want to come on I was like yeah yeah he's like well go warm up then so I'm jogging down the um, jogging down the touchline and I used to only go and warm up like um, during the game five minutes before half time before we went out and like had a proper um, sort of warm up and um, I was jogging down there and one of the subs said to me what are you doing I said oh he told me to come and warm up he said you're coming on I said I think I am yeah I sort of Hogging up and down. Obviously, their supporters are seeing the keeper warming up. Wes has clocked me warming up as well, which is sort of a bit awkward. Um, and then he shouts down to come on and, yeah, I'm ready to go. And and then strip strip down, get the shirt on, gloves on. And, um, yeah, Wes comes off. Not happy. Don't think anyone's happy being dragged after 22 minutes, but let alone a goalkeeper. Um, didn't shake my hand, which wasn't a problem because I would have been fuming just as much him, but I, that wasn't targeted at me. And then he's down the touchline. Mm. I think he kicks a Powerade bottle and he's down the tunnel. And um, then, yeah, I'm on 2-0 down at Preston in front of uh, 10,000 people, something like that. So, um, yeah, so uh, thrown in at deep end is a bit of an understatement, I think. But um, but definitely I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it because it was... Um, a memorable moment and obviously gets brought up every now and then and uh, it was a great place to make my debut and uh, interestingly I, I don't know you probably had a look at the team sheet but uh, one of the goal scorers and players for Preston that day was a was a Diddy legend Stuart Bevan so um, uh, it's strange how things go full circle in the end of it. but yeah that was um, obviously a great moment for me not so great for Wes um, yeah, we've obviously gone different ways in our career paths, but, uh, but no, absolutely. Um, I'll hold that day with me for forever because, like I said, that was my uh, my dream being realised and achieved. Well, that's wonderful, Lee. We'll talk uh, more about Paolo Di Canio's time in charge of Swindon after this break. Inside the Loop is sponsored by Cappuccino, who aim to raise awareness and funds for mental health support through their speciality coffee and clothing. Keep an eye out for them in the programme and on the Digcop kit on match days. And also, follow them on Instagram at cat underscore n underscore chino for the latest content, updates and giveaways. Welcome back to Inside the Loop with Lee Bedwell. So, with, with De Canio, obviously he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a cult figure, let's put it that way. Uh, he's, he's one of the biggest iconic names, probably in modern football to an extent. When, when you obviously joined the club and he was manager when you've been there for a while? I mean, what did you think when he got appointed? Because you think, oh, Christ, this is potentially one of a legend of the game. This could be exciting to work for. Um, and then what was he like to work for? Is there the stories 
true <laughs> or absolutely so obviously sort of when he when he got the job originally Swindon had just been relegated to league two um we were I was a second year scholar at the time um so obviously that was sort of like up and off to the season um trying to get our pro contract so it's like wow this could go one way or the other but obviously mass hysteria as well to begin with sort of a Premier League legend coming to be manager is going to be exciting um but yeah, he definitely lived up to everything you would imagine and, and much more sort of like his passion, sidelines and the way he sort of, his hand movements, he reacted, the way he speaks in the media sort of, it's not an act at all. It's not an act, he's exactly the same um, in the dressing room, on the training ground, um, in team meetings, things like that. I've seen him, I've seen him punch the life out of a TV screen during a team meeting as well. Um, so follow, it was like on a Sunday morning following um, a defeat. I don't think it was too bad, um, but it was a defeat and he wasn't happy. We were called into the training ground on a Sunday, which is normal. Everyone would come in for a cool down. Players who didn't play would have to do um, some work, but we'd always have like the highlights and things to watch first. And um, he was tapping the screen, showing someone where they should have been. And he just got more vigorous and more aggressive until the screen was... No more, and that was our uh, that was our cue to go out to train. Um, but yeah, he's he is an absolute character, like you see. Um, he did spend a lot of money at Swindon to get him promoted. Um, probably made a lot of mistakes. Probably learned a lot. Um, but when he left, when he joined us, we were in League Two. He got us promoted to League One. When he left, I think we were sat second in the table in League One. Um, yeah, so in the automatic promotion spots. Yeah, and I think he's. If you look at his time at Sunderland, probably doesn't look too good. I know he saved him from relegation and the second season didn't go too well. Um, but I think if he had a group of players, like at Swindon, where he's almost bigger than them and he can like they can look up to him. But when he was at Sunderland, he's sort of like got John O'Shea, I think Wes Brown, players like who played under Sir Alex Ferguson, and it's a bit like this is not how we do things, so why should we change when sort of even under Alex Ferguson, even at Man United? Stuff like that. So I think, um, yeah, an unbelievable character. He could definitely probably have still played in League One, League Two, because he used to join in five side in training. Um, he used to if I, if he was on my if he was on your team, like it was a nightmare because he'd just want the ball wherever. Like I'd have the ball as a goalkeeper, and he'd come and stand a yard away from me, and I just have to like drop the ball to him. Like, what can I do? He's the gaffer. I can't not give him the ball. So yeah, so yeah, he's a great character, and um, yeah, I think a lot of Swindon fans. Obviously enjoyed that time. It was hysterical. There was there's a lot more media attention for the club at that time as well. Canio, some great experiences under him. Like we went out on uh, pre-season tours to Italy, um, things like that. And he sort of sorted out any injured lads that get flown out to Rome and be treated out in Rome. Loads of them met like uh, like Totti when they're in the same um, sort of treatment facility as well. So yeah, he definitely had obviously connections, and he's a, a great time and. Is exactly the same as what you see on the telly now. And um, I hope he does get another job somewhere um, purely because of the entertainment value. And I think he deserves an opportunity to do well somewhere again. I was going to say, if, if his, those kind of antics either keep players on edge or they become a bit tiresome if they're overused, but I mean, it sounds like a pretty good time, really, doesn't it? Well, yeah, for, for me personally, as a Swindon fan, like obviously I was loving it because the team were winning, they were doing well. Um, and yeah, everything was rosy, but for a lot of the like sort of older pros, 
um, they were like, oh, this is hard graph. Like we train every day, like professional footballers are used to having Sundays, Wednesdays off. So they'll train hard Monday, Tuesday, mm. Thursday, Friday will be a bit more tactical. Friday will probably be pretty filled out, ready for the game Saturday. Mm. Um, and it just wasn't the normal, wasn't what they used to. But all those players, like when I've listened back on podcasts and things that they've said now and seen them now, um, they sit back and say, yeah, it was an unbelievable time. Like, it was probably the fittest, the best they were playing. Um, but at the time, obviously, they're probably just feeling like when you're working hard grafting, it's hard work. Um, but they obviously appreciate it now. They're uh, older in their careers. But yeah, it was a great time. Uh, if I go back to it, absolutely. I was going to say someone who, say similar to Wes, has, has made a championship Premier League player. Maybe he's appreciating the hard graft under the Canio. I think Matt Ritchie was the same yeah, stage as you. Yeah, um, yeah. A couple of questions. I think Mark, you know Mark very well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, He's got shares the same question, really. You know, what was it like to play against him in training, and and kind of further on to that, can you notice a difference? And does it surprise you that they're now he's now a Premier League player at Newcastle? Yeah, so Matt Ritchie was um, he is unbelievable. Like left foot, right foot, like the way he struck the ball, his first touch, the way he moved the ball, um, you could tell he, he had quality. Um, and he was at Swindon, he was sort of like the main man. Um, and it, when he got sold, that was the reason sort of the cameo left. But yeah, you can definitely tell he was destined to um, to go on to um, higher things. Um, I actually remember having a conversation with him on the bus once, um, and he was like, uh, he was talking about obviously he, he was sort of like done that he was going to go, he was leaving at some point. Mm. And at this time, I think he let he left to Bournemouth, and at this time, Swindon and Bournemouth were in the same league. And um, I said, ah, oh, if you go, mate, just don't go to Bournemouth. Like it's left with like. He said, I, I said, I'd be really disappointed if you go to Bournemouth. Like, at least go like a level above, like, you're, you're better than that. But obviously, he went to Bournemouth and then gained promotion with them and then got moves. And then he's uh, at Newcastle now and represented Scotland. And yeah, it just the way he moves the ball, the way he strikes the ball, it's just, it's just different. Like, as you go up the levels, the technique, they don't look like they kick it any harder than someone who plays our level, but it's just their technique is so precise travel so much quicker and more accurately as well. So, so yeah, he's definitely got the sort of quality and he's probably sort of not that appreciated at, um, at Premier League level, but obviously playing with him, you can see he makes you show sort of he's like a bottom half Prem player, isn't he? Uh, with all due respect, but it shows sort of the levels of, of where he's got, um, that that's, that's where he's at. You stood in touch with, say, Matt or any other players you used to play with Swindon? No, nah, not not really. Sort of those lads, they're all sort of like older. They're sort of like my age, which is strange. They're sort of like my age now. And I was sort of like some of the young lads we've got coming through now. So you get on well with them at the time, but it's not really sort of got those sort of bonds and friendships. Um, still sort of like follow a few of them on Twitter and they follow back on Twitter and stuff like that. And could probably, they're all good lads. You could probably uh, sign to their DM, speak to them, getting some advice and stuff like that. Like Wes, I'm sure. If I sort of dropped him a message, he'd happily like sort of give me a call back or get in touch. But it's one of those things, sort of like it's just a work colleague, isn't it? You've worked with them in the past. You, you get a well when you work with them, and you, they travel, they move away, and yeah, you, you lose contact. Now shifting it, the focus back to yourself. So you had a couple of loan spells at Banbury and Worcester. Going on loan for the first time, how does that? Feel? Yeah, so it's, it's always obviously important to get game time. Like I said earlier. Um, as a, as a young goalkeeper, you need to go out, make mistakes, play games, learn. Um, at the time at Swindon, I was, it all changed. The, um, the structure of the club had changed with management. Um, another goalkeeper had come in, an older goalkeeper, was slightly older, um, more experienced, came in from Liverpool and he sort of came in as the number two. 
um, which was fine because I thought, yeah, I need to go out and get games. Like that. And then I got a call one day and it wasn't like, do you want to go out on loan? It's you're going out on loan. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and I was like, oh, where to? And they're like, Banbury. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, I wasn't sort of like um, massively excited about it because we played them in pre-season. Mm. Um, and, that, and in pre-season, like we were about 15 minutes into the game and there was like a, Andy Williams, our striker, found a hammer on the pitch. Um, yeah, I don't know how in the middle of the pitch, I don't know what was in the middle of the pitch. Um, so that's sort of like, that was my um, sort of memory of Banbury. Um, and I was like, okay, um, this feels like a little bit like I'm getting bombed off a little bit. I'm like getting thrown thrown out. Um, but no, I went to Banbury and it was, um, it wasn't a massive eye-opener because I'd been involved in non-league football before, like watching my brother and watching a lot of local football. Um, but it was sort of like my first proper foray into like competitive men's football and, and in the Southern League at that time. Um, I think I played my first loan to at Banbury. I was only there for, a, meant to be there for a month. And it ended two, three months. Um, when I left and we were sort of just outside the playoffs and it was a, it was a really good club to be at. The manager was Edwin Steen. He was um, ex-Luton. I think he's had a couple of brothers who played um, professional football as well. So it was a really good eye-opener. Um, made some good contact in the game and then from there from there onward um, went to Worcester who were in the Conference North at the time um, I had quite a bad uh, illness actually before I sort of um, had to go into hospital on Christmas Eve like in between these two loan spells and lost a lot of weight and a lot of muscle and then I was sort of like coming back and I've got this sort of next loan move up which was um, to the Conference North which is a step up and it's like yeah this is like sort of where I I want to be playing out on loan to get my experience, take back to Swindon. And there we, they were, they were struggling in the relegation zone, I think, or just above it. And I was only there for the month for the last game of the season because their keeper was injured. Um, went there, done, done pretty well. We, we stayed up. Um, so yeah, so it went well. So it was massive, good experiences. I was lucky, quite lucky that I went to two really good clubs um, and got good experience. They had good management there, and they sort of managed me well and gave me and game time but yeah it's massive massive to play now you can see sort of with the young lads we've got a dick on now like um from last season season before i know it's been sort of because of covid and that it's been disrupted but young lads playing games the more games you get they're like sponges they're just they're going to develop and get so much better the more game time they get um so yeah it's massively important and a massive part in my sort of you know at the time the transition from sort of uh professional football into sort of part-time non-league football i was gonna say because there's a good question here is you know the, the who's the best non-league player or players that you've, you've come up against and so you've been around conference north Banbury united and been yeah. dick for six seven years i mean who would you say stands out in the memory well there's definitely a few who scored a few against me so um <laughs> uh nonsense yeah yeah no there's um <laughs> There's obviously you, you always recognise good players and you always see their quality, um, but probably uh, at the time I think it was five years ago now, four or five years ago now, we played Billericay in the FA Cup, and this is when they had all their all their sort of money as well. Mm-hmm. Um, with um, I can't remember the fella's name now, but he was a bit mad as as well. Glenn, I think Glenn Tamplin or something like that. That's it, yeah, and they had Jamie O'Hara and, and that sort yeah, of Paul Koncheski, wasn't it? We played them, yeah, Paul Koncheski, oh. Jermaine Pennant. Um, so we played against them, but there was um, a lad up front, I think he used to play for Brighton, I can't remember his name, I'm terrible with names. Hmm. Um, he was a he was a um, 
striker and he's I think he scored a hat trick. We were nil nil at half time with them and we ended up losing five nil and he scored a hat trick. Oh. And he logged me as well. Um but yeah he was a he was a very decent player. Um but yeah but but dig cop wise we've had some decent players as well. Um but I think the best is yet to come like especially with these young lads coming through. Um saying about the transition from me to the professional to the non-league game. I think a couple of these lads if they keep getting games under their belt and develop at the rate they can they can develop and we all know they can develop they can make that transition the opposite way which is what we all want to go from non-league um into the football league so uh so yeah that'd be great to see it'd be great to um sit on this pod in five years time and say um josh hedges taylor yeah i remember when they were playing at dick cop with us um, and now they've gone on to playing the football league or even conference. Right, they could definitely definitely do it I was going to say, touching on the academy, um, because we'll get on to your goalkeeping school in a little bit. Um, let's say people like Josh Taylor, they, when you do watch them, I know you're playing with them, but you get a different perspective, but they do look very commanding, controlled, game-changing. And so are they the kind of guys that do excite you on the training pitch and you think, Christ, these, they have got potential. They could easily do Football League because it, it is only four steps higher. It, it's, yeah, it's yeah absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Some of them they've already got sort of double figure um, Southern League appearances on under their belts. Um, so yeah, it could definitely happen. But, but yeah, probably um, in my time at Didcot, the sort of the squad we've got now, tech, technically wise, probably as good as anyone that has ever been at Didcot in my time. Like, if not better. Like, they are there are some unbelievable players. Um, but then it's just transforming that from the training ground, from the academy. To Saturday, where where it sort of matters to get those three points, and at the moment we're in that transition period where sort of we've got some experienced lads who've been there um, for a while, and we've got those young lads coming through, and and we're sort of banking on those young lads as old heads because they can do things that we can't do with a football, um, and we see it in training. We do old v young in training. Sometimes they can take the mick out of us in training. Sometimes we can teach them a thing or two in training as well. But, I've, I've um, seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, first hand remark. It's finding the balance, isn't it? And um, there's a good little healthy rivalry there. But like I said, it's it's taking it from training and our and the academy where they've done so well to that game on a Saturday where we all need to come together and uh, and work together. But I, I don't think it's too far away. We're we're getting there slowly but surely. Was well, the final question from from me on the main main section? Obviously, the would you say your biggest game and you know was the FA Cup against Exeter in 2015. It's got a full crowd. It's on BT. How was that experience? Yeah, it was, it was massive. You know, I just got a little bit, I gave you goosebumps then, mate, just, uh, <laughs> when you announced it. But um, yeah, it was massive. At the time, mm. uh, I've been thinking about this, at the time I probably didn't appreciate it as much as it was because it was only my sort of second season out of um, professional football because I was at Banbury the season before. Then I moved to Didcot. Um it just felt like I was trying to think back to um, the teams we played, and I can only remember two, I think. And I was like, I can't really remember the run. I remember being sat in my car on a Monday, Monday lunchtime, waiting to hear who we had in the next round. But I can never remember the teams. It just seemed like we just turned up, we played, we got the result, and then we sort of next round. Um, two teams I remember playing, I think it was Brentwood and Northwood, two games we played. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they were the two. Yeah, but uh, I can't remember. Can't remember any of the others really. Um, but yeah, it was massive, massive, massive day. Not only for the club, um, but for the whole town, because there was posters around the town. The build-up was incredible. Obviously, had the BT cameras there as well. Massive, massive moment for the club. Um, and it wasn't too long ago, but um, obviously, like the the club's got a great history with the FA Vars team and all 
all what that group of players and players after that have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think we do forget about that sort of runner, how incredible it is, especially at the moment, this last weekend, I think um, Banbury have just qualified for the first round for the second year, mm-hmm. um, running, which is an incredible achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they're a, they're a tier higher than us, but um, we, when we were a tier lower. And then, but um, but yeah, it was a massive, massive day, and that many people at the um, at the loop was incredible. And the only disappointment was the performance on the day. I think as a team, uh, we didn't we didn't play terribly. We were playing against a good um, League Two team, but we didn't we didn't seize the day. We didn't go for it. I don't think as much as we could have. Um, I think we're probably in awe of them a little bit, which which can be expected. But yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable day, and to have that as a non league. Yeah, that's sort of like your, that is your final that is your cup final with everything you can do you can win this and that league but to play in the FA Cup first round for your local club on on TV is um, unbelievable and um, I don't think we've got past the first qualifying round since then or, or apart from the Billericay one yeah. so um, so yeah we've um, definitely got some making up to do to try and uh, try and get there back, back again because I'd love to be able to get there again because I just appreciate it so much more um definitely yeah it was one of those days where it will live you with live with you forever definitely if you were playing or if you're on the management or if you're in the stands um absolutely so what was the expectation um i know i said final one um but what is the expectation planning for a game like that then is it let's just try and take it to them see what we get or is it okay they're gonna be pretty good let's do we just sit deep and try and long it out as much as possible I think the whole that team that sort of team we had there we weren't there was no individual who was going to go and win it, it was just going to be our team was just going to work hard that's how we got results we, like i said the lads we've got now the team we've got now is probably a little bit more technically gifted probably a bit better individuals but as a team then we just knew what was required to to get results to win games um and going into that game we probably treated it like no other i think the only thing we did different is we stayed at the um, hotel in Abingdon the night before all together to make it a special occasion. Um, and even before the night, Jamie and Connors said, and Andy said, like what you normally do on the night before a game, we're not going to change anything. We've got here for a reason. Um, so I think it's important that we sort of stuck to our philosophy on and off the pitch, sort of treated it just like another game. Obviously, it didn't it didn't come off. We didn't get a result. But yeah, we, do, we I think that's that's the thing with football. You've got to have your philosophy and you've got to stick with it. When we did that day, it didn't come off. Maybe if we would have said, all right, we'll sit back in, we'll frustrate them and then we'll try and counter maybe we'd have got a result. Um, but then maybe we'd have got beaten even more. Um, so yeah, I think whether you're, whatever your philosophy is, it's important you stick to it and you keep those, those fundamentals and you follow it through. That's wonderful. Well, now we just have a few questions from uh, that people have actually sent in. Mark, Mark's got a few. Um, I'm quite like a few of these. Um, so the first I one. Comment some of these. <laughs> some of them you, you might. Uh, <laughs> and the first one is: is what is it like playing with and being coached by family members? Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's um, it's difficult. It's difficult at times, but at the same time, it doesn't matter if it was my brother on the sideline or anyone else if they tell you to do something from a management perspective you've got to do it um obviously um sometimes there's sort of a bit more emotion involved maybe even more so if it's coming from a family member it might make you want to do it even more um, but then go the other way as well we're we are brothers at the end of the day we do have disagreements um, not at the football club away from each other 
uh, away from the football <laughs> club. Yeah, we are brothers. We will we will um we'll talk it out, fight it out. There's a few times we've had a few disagreements. My mouth's probably got me in trouble. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 difficult, but the same as enjoyable. When you win together, it's amazing. When you lose together, everyone feels a bit low, doesn't it? But, um, uh, where in the future, short to you know, however long you will be at the club, where do you see it going, and where would you like to see it? Know, head towards me at the football club hopefully stay for another few years um mm. well a long time I, i've obviously i'm only 27 i'd love i'd love to be able to beat jmo's record of appearances um i'd love to do that i think that's probably going to be a bit of a stretch i don't know if my covid appearances will count over the last two seasons <laughs> that's put me back massively um but yeah didcot is a close it's a club really close to my heart obviously i've been here for a number of years now had great memories being at the club um, and hopefully want to make a lot more as well. Like I say, I'm only 27, mm. playing goal. I don't have to run around like an idiot chasing the ball. So hopefully, if I can play to like, if I can play in goal till I'm 40 at Didcot, mm. that'd, be, that'd be incredible. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have any plans to go anywhere else until I'm told I'm not wanted. <laughs> well, that's you nice and committed. Um, so with <laughs> that, where, where do you see the club being? Where, would you, where do you see its ambitions going, do you reckon? I, th- I feel the only way is up. Um, we've hit sort of like a period now where we've sort of been in limbo. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of people sort of behind the scenes who have been here for a long time and done unbelievable work to get the club to where it is and to keep it where it's at. Um, and now, now's time, like with yourselves and other people I know have come into the club this year and sort of given it a massive lift, um, sort of like a new generation of people. Um, and with obviously the plans of the 40 pitches, which have been promised since the day I walked through the door at Didcot. Um, so I'm still waiting, but it will come. It will come eventually. Um, we've obviously, uh, Craig's massive to the project at Didcot as well, Craig AD. Um, obviously, his academy lads, like I've mentioned before, we think the world of them and they can go on to be incredible. Like we've said before in the change room, we don't want these lads to stay at Didcot. We want Didcot to be the place to push these lads on and, and take them forward in their careers and they got to be known as a, a club to come to where you can go on and, and further yourself and make yourself better I think we're in a really good position now where we can keep hold of these lads and push on together so it's a really solid season this season and next season look to progress and push on maybe climb the leagues but once you've got that sort of 4G in place and the club can run itself self-sufficiently um, yeah definitely the only, the only way is going forward there's no there's no other club in Oxfordshire apart from Oxford City who I feel are that much bigger than Didcot. Banbury's too far away. We can't count that as Oxfordshire. But the local teams, Didcot's massive. We've got the, obviously the training ground right next to the club, right in the town centre. We've got, there's houses being built all the way back out to Lady Grove now. So many more people. There's the club and the possibilities are endless. It just needs that, that push. And like I said, with the people who have been there for so long and done so well for the club, the fresh energy coming in as well. I can just, I think it's going to be an exciting place to be. I hope so anyway. I'm sure, I'm sure it I'm will pro- be. That's why I'm clinging on and trying to stick around. <laughs> you want a better The good times are definitely coming. Uh, Favourite, uh, last one from Mark. Um, I'm looking forward to this one. Just plain and simply, your favourite shithouse moment. <laughs> right, yeah, so I have got a bit of a... Um, yeah, a bit of an image that I, a bit of shit housery or housery, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I think I don't, I don't want to say too much about this, but yeah, there's, um, I get a lot of abuse, obviously, being in goal. Mm-hmm. 
I would normally get a lot of people stood behind my goal, give me a view. Sometimes I will bite back more often than not, but I am trying, trying to stop. <laughs> uh, I haven't learned how to yet. Um, yeah, no, I will definitely. Sometimes I've, I've probably given out a good few one-liners, but um, my favourite phrase, a, a lot of lads will be aware of it, but um, mm. I'm, I'm not prepared to put that down on record. Um, I'll have to, if anyone wants to know, they can come and speak to me in person. I'll share, share those details, give some advice on that. That's absolutely fair because it must do your head in a little bit, oh, doesn't absolutely. it? You just one, can't. one week it can be uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was like a load of 12 year olds giving me abuse behind the goal. And then you've got sort of like 50, 60 year olds the week after. And it's like, yeah, it, it is hard because it's, it's almost harder in this sort of um, environment, a lower league club where sort of there's like 10, 12 people stood behind your goal or mm-hmm. 20, 30 people go behind your goal hear the individual comments every time and you can hear it you can't hear it there's no getting away with it yeah. but if there's sort of a couple of hundred couple of thousand behind you sort of all merges into one doesn't it so yeah it's definitely difficult but i am i am learning to bite my lip and try and stay out of trouble let's say 12 12 to 15 yards i mean it's not a great image obviously but you kind of expect it a little bit yeah when they're about 50 60 you must just think like come on man like you're better yeah, than this. Yeah, come yeah. on yeah no definitely and it's um <laughs> It's difficult, but but there's some some you'll just get abused. Like we played Wooten Bassett in the FA Cup last year. Mm. One guy stood and he screamed and he shouted and abused me for 90 minutes. I didn't give him nothing, nothing back at all. I walked into the bar after the game thinking, right, if he's in there, yeah. he's, I'm gonna give him like my mind <laughs> that like the minimum he's gonna get. Um, yeah. I walked into the bar and he's the first bloke who walked up to me and said, mate, please let me buy you a pint. So it's um it's one of those like, was it worth a pint for 90 minutes of abuse? Probably not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of like how it is. Or you get people who you can give back and forth and they can take it. But if you mm. give back and then you've sort of you've nibbled, you've bit and you've lost. But mm. yeah, you can't you can't really win getting involved with them. So like I said, I'm slowly learning. Oh, By the time I'm 40 and retire, I'll probably have learned. Yeah, but then you'll become a manager and you'll just give it out that way, probably, won't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've got to deal with people behind the dugout. Um, EJ on Instagram, he, he asks, uh, when going through a rough, pa- rough patch of matches, I mean, how do you keep your head clear and not let it get to you? Um, so like I mentioned earlier about being a goalkeeper, you probably overanalyze things. You stand, stand, you've got, you're standing in the goal, you're thinking about what's happened. If you make a mistake, you just got to put it out of your mind straight away. It's happened. You'll see a lot of goalkeepers, if they throw, they throw a ball in the back of the net, obviously not, it doesn't happen on, by, you don't do it by purpose, it's an accident. Mistakes happen. You just need to grab the ball, get it to the halfway line, put it out of your mind. And then my next thing would be the next thing you do, make sure it's a positive thing. So try and follow up any negative with a positive. So it might might be as simple as communication, right? Next five minutes, I'm going to make sure I'm on top of communicating to my back four, my midfielders. I'm talking to the team, I'm encouraging, I'm being positive in that aspect. Or it might be a ball coming back to you, it might be a good touch, a good pass out, or your next goal kick is going to be good. Whatever you do, the next thing needs to be positive. Obviously, then if you follow up a negative with a negative, and obviously you're sort of you need that next positive. But again, it's just the next positive. Look for the next positive and take strength from that and try and um, try and push on through the game like that. That's what I try and do anyway. It doesn't mean I do it, I try. <laughs> Trying is all that matters. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Nick on I saw on your goalkeeper page, we will touch that at the end. Uh, he asks the best way that a goalkeeper should organise defenders for corners and set pieces. Ah, uh, wow, that's a big one, isn't it? Well, you just got to be loud, got to be um, organised early as well. So, 
if we go from corners, for me personally, I have a man on the, the front post in the zone, so just off the post, man on the back post, and then I prefer everyone else to be picking up, marking. Um, not a massive fan of zonal because then you've got the attackers have got a bit of a run on you, unless you've got a load of six or five giants who you're guaranteed to win the header. Um, but yeah, man in the front zone, man on the post at the back, and then everyone else picking up. And then you just got to be really loud and clear with your instructions from them onwards. So if you're coming for the ball, it needs to be a nice early shout and you need to come and take everything, as they say, whether you're punching captain. Or if you're not coming, you need to let your defenders know that they've got to deal with it early doors. So early, clear, concise communication um, is key. Um, now for this one, uh, it's asked by Paul, lovely Vice Chairman Paul, uh, he'll appreciate that. Um, I have seen the array that you have uh, and he asks, <laughs> what is your favourite kit colour out of the selection that you have supplied for you? I'm a very I'm a very lucky boy when it comes to the kits. I've been well looked after by the Chalks over the years. Mm-hmm. It normally, There's normally three or four new kits per season. By the way, which I don't ask for, I've asked for maybe <laughs> one or two, but there's like every other week, Katie will come or Jackie will come and be like, I've got this shirt. Mm-hmm. It's all printed, ready to go. So I've probably got, definitely got white, Grey, blue, red, orange, navy, yellow. Um, mm-hmm. We're making a transfer from Joma to uh, Adidas now, so there's going to be more as well. Mm-hmm. Um, black one, there's a black one I've got as well. Um, but yeah, I've probably got this. Probably we could probably have all the lads in the squad could probably each have a goalkeeper shirt if they wanted <laughs> one. There's that many over the years. Um, but for me, it's got to be the white. I love the white kit. All white kit. It is pristine. Catfish Michael wears one for Leicester every now and then. It looks unbelievable. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like sort of the Real Madrid look. I feel like Galactico when I'm wearing the all-white. <laughs> I just don't think it's ideal to be washed, especially in the winter. There's grass stains, the mud. But, um, yeah, but I'm, I'm a bit fussy when it comes to the kits. I like I like them. But, yeah, if I could, if I could wear white all year round, I would. I don't think the... Uh, you like cleaning all like that much. I reckon that's it. I reckon it's the not having to clean it bit that you like the yeah, most. You stand the, the kit bag over. I might, see you later, yeah. I might have to offer to take it home and clean it myself, but <laughs> yeah, it's got to be it's got to be the white. Hundred percent. Got three three more, and then we'll talk about your goalkeeping school. Yeah. Who is? Now just be be honest. It's fine. It's it's all fine. Who is the best and worst trainer in the squad? Ooh. Put them out there. Who is it? <laughs> best trainer um best trainer probably uh someone like Sethi. he's got high standards he's always working hard um he demands it off everyone else even if he's having a stinker he'll run around and work hard um worst trainer there's a couple you know there's a couple who always have a stinker um gilly's up there he's right. definitely up there as a worst trainer i'm gonna throw bards in there as well because Bards, yeah, he sometimes he's quite loud though, so he can get away with it. I mm. can get away with it, but sometimes it goes one way or the other. He can be loud and be funny and get away with it, mm. or if he's having a stinker and he starts moaning, yeah. When he was a lot younger, he used to get a lot of um, get a lot of stick for that. But yeah, so I'm, I'm going to put Bards up there as well. But Bards always performs on a Saturday. As well. You perform on a Saturday, you can get away with being a bad trainer. Can't wait to come to training on Tuesday now. Can't wait. Yeah, I don't know if I, that's Bards in my car school as well, so I don't know if I'm going to have a lift now. The training that one is gone that ship has sailed <laughs> <laughs> uh and now mark who i found out earlier just must be a really good friend of yours he does ask 
when the pony cell's getting cut and if it's getting cut i've grown quite attached to it or it's grown it's, it is attached to me yeah um <laughs> But um, yeah, it started off, obviously, you've had the lockdowns and I wasn't letting my missus cut my hair at all in the lockdowns. I just wasn't having it. It's not going to happen. Um, and it's just grown and grown and grown. I've grown to like it a lot and I'm struggling to get to come to terms with letting it go. But my plan all along has been, there's been a purpose behind it. Um, I will donate my hair to uh, the Little Princess Foundation eventually. So it's, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but it's um, foundation for um, children who have uh, obviously cancer, they lose their hair and then they make wigs. And um, yeah, I just think, obviously it's been rubbish the last however long, bored of it all now, but um, but if I can do something good out of it and it can help someone, I work with a lot of kids. Um, And to think, when I was younger, my hair was a massive deal for me, like, Everyone loved David Beckham. He changed his hair all the time. It's like we started to like take a lot of interest in looking after themselves. Um, if a if a kid's like doesn't feel confident with their hair, like some it could be um a big game changer for them. So yeah, so that's the plan. So there's a reason that I look like this. <laughs> that's absolutely yeah, brilliant, mate. That's eventually. that's terrific. Huh? Mark's gonna feel well bad now when he is that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really yeah. good. Um, and Simon Ferry, the player that I've I have heard every time is Swindon. Yeah, Mark wants to know why he just says you're hopeless, apparently. Yeah, so Cy Ferry, was, um, he was on the bench um, when I made my debut as well, and he's become quite a popular figure in, like, uh, Scottish football now. He has, like, a few podcasts and things like that. Okay. And uh, obviously he gets asked quite a lot about the um, uh, Wes getting subbed off, me coming on. Um, and he's said the story so many, so many times now. Uh, I get bored of hearing him say it on um, different podcasts. Um, but yeah, he said I was hopeless. Um, he must be right. Believe in yourself. <laughs> you're, you're playing, and he's making podcasts. That's the way you got to look at. See, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's the that's the side of of the podcast done, and, and highly appreciate you taking the time out. I've, I've kept you for a while. Um, no, no, it's been so a pleasure. Just to round off, obviously, you do have your goalkeeping school and um, your coaching course. Um, absolutely, just fire away and, and plug and tell us all about it. Yeah, so um, it actually started. I started getting into it a few. Fair few years ago now, um, probably being I work as a coach in a primary school anyway. But um, goalkeeping is obviously a big passion of mine. So it's done for pretty much my whole life now. Um, but yeah, um, I started doing like a bit of coaching a few years ago. Then I stopped a bit because I changed jobs and then changed back. Um, but Ethan, our uh, our young goalkeeper who comes along, he's goalkeeper coach, goalkeeper, uh, backup goalkeeper as well. Um, his mum reached out to me a few years ago, um, said that he was struggling with confidence, things like that. Um, would I do a few one-on-one sessions with him? So I did. Um, really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, seeing him sort of grow, build his confidence up, and then sort of like grew it from there. Like they word of mouth grew, and a lot of people wanted one-on-one sessions, and I started doing group sessions. Um, now I currently coach all the Bigcott Town youth goalkeepers and um, do the Grove Challenges goalkeepers where I live as well. Um, and then obviously in half terms and things like that, do a keeper camp date um, where we have all the, all the goalkeepers come along for the day. Um, and we do loads of goalkeeping drills, loads of goalkeeping games, just um, yeah, striving to, to help goalkeepers really. Um, it's one of those things. It's uh, Kids love playing football, but there's a lot of kids who love being goalkeepers as well. So um we can get them diving around all day, getting muddy, enjoying it. You know, our aim is not to make anyone into the next Neuer or uh, Jordan Pickford or anything like that. I just want to help young grassroots goalkeepers, just give them some confidence, help them, give them the skills so they can go out and play on a, on a Saturday and a Sunday and enjoy themselves. Um, mm. There's an Audi um, 
in the age groups when they go up, they they're like they turn 13, 14, they're going into full size goals and they're not even not even fully developed yet. And they've right. not got a Gatton Howard's chance of saving saving a lot of the shots in those goals. So you see a lot of goalkeepers sort of leave leave the game or stop playing and go and play out pitch because they've got no chance. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so if I can give them any confidence and help them, um that's obviously uh a big, big tick in my book. So, so yeah. So if there's any goalkeepers out there who want a bit of coaching, come along, or any coaches who want to come along and do some coaching, absolutely. We sort of join the goalkeeping union. Great to get you in a pair of gloves, mate, for a um, for a pod special. <laughs> I would happily sign up, but I think my five foot nine frame at twenty five, fully developed. Boy, <laughs> I'll do it. Believe, uh, believe in yourself, mate. Believe in yourself. My final plug, where Sam, can... just the Samba goals. Let's do it. That's that's fine. I'll sign up to that easily. Um, Your final bit of plug for you. So, where can we find it? Where's the social pages? Where's the numbers? Um, Where can we find it? uh, Facebook, um, Lee Bedwell Goalkeeping, Instagram, Lee Bedwell Goalkeeping. Yeah. Or come down to the loop and come and say hello. Catch me in a bar and you'll see. You'll find me in there as well. Um, Yeah. Cheers, mate. Absolutely brilliant. Well, for Lee, you've been an absolute pleasure tonight. I've kept you for a very long time. (laughs) I do do appreciate it. Enjoyable, mate. No, No problem. Absolutely wonderful. Pleasure to chat to you. Uh, have a good evening and uh, you'll be out as soon as possible and I'll catch you Tuesday. See you Tuesday, mate. Nice one. Take See care. Bye-bye. Have a good one.